This hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. Today, the committee will consider the nomination of three highly experienced career foreign service officers to be U.S. ambassadors to Burkina Faso, Nigeria, and Indonesia. We never knew that Indonesia had become part of Africa, but we'll, we'll, we'll take it for the day. Glad to have you here. I, I met with each of you uh, in my office uh, last week and appreciated you making time for that. And I was, uh, as I usually am, uh, very impressed at uh, the expertise and uh, commitment and experience that you all bring uh, to this uh, potential new post. As the largest uh, sub-Saharan African country, Nigeria remains of critical importance to the U.S. interest, especially in the effort uh, against Boko Haram. However, the stress of uh, low global oil prices on Nigeria's economy is creating numerous challenges for President Buhari's administration and Nigeria's broader security. Burkina Faso is another West African country that recently achieved a democratic transition of power first since its independence in 1966 uh, with uh, newly elected President uh, uh, Kabore. He enjoys considerable domestic and international goodwill. There are many economic, political, and security challenges he faces. Finally, Indonesia is the largest and one of the most important countries in Southeast Asia, vital element to Asia's future development. Our close bilateral ties with the Indonesian government uh, in areas of trade, counterterrorism, and maritime security will need careful stewardship in the years ahead. I thank each of you for your time today. I'm aware of the sacrifices that you make, but in particular, the, the sacrifices that your families make uh, for you to uh, serve in these posts. And with that, uh, I'll recognize the distinguished ranking member for a few comments, Senator Markey. Uh, thank you, thank you, Mr. Chairman, very much. Thank you for having this hearing. Each of these countries presents important opportunities to advance American interests while helping <clears throat> to ensure peaceful and prosperous lives for hundreds of millions of people in two of the world's most dynamic and fastest growing regions. In August, I led a congressional delegation to West Africa that included a visit to Nigeria, a country that plays a critical role not only in its region, but for the entire continent. When many think of Nigeria, they think of the security threats of Boko Haram and other extremist groups in the Northeast or from piracy in the Gulf of Guinea. These threats are real and they are serious, but our, our visit also showed a dynamic and hopeful Nigeria. In Lagos, I met many brilliant young entrepreneurs whose innovative startups are creating a new knowledge-driven economy. Their work has extraordinary potential to lift many millions of Nigerians out of poverty and make the country a major player in the 21st century economy. The United States can be a critical partner in supporting the efforts of these Nigerian pioneers. Burkina Faso, which translates in English to the land of the upright people, also offers reasons for optimism about the future of West Africa. <clears throat> After decades of autocratic rule, uh, the, peace, the people peacefully demanded democratic reforms. They are now working to further those reforms, strengthening their political institutions and civil society and preserve a culture of peace and tolerance in a region threatened by growing extremism. Also essential are their efforts to reduce poverty by building inclusive and sustainable economic development in one of Africa's poorest countries. And last, at the center of economically dynamic 
Southeast Asia. Indonesia is a democracy and a secular state that also has a larger Muslim population uh, than any other country in the world. Those facts stand as a clear rebuke to those who say that Islam is inherently antagonistic to democracy. So I thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman, for holding this hearing, and uh, we thank all of our uh, nominees for being here today. Well, thank you, Senator Markey. We'll now turn to our nominees. First nominee, Stuart Symington, has served as Deputy Assistant Secretary for State for Central Africa and African Security Affairs since 2015. His previous positions include serving as U.S. Ambassador to Rwanda and Djibouti. Commenting in the office at uh, Djibouti, Nigeria, about the same population and, and everything else. Uh, so it, uh, this is going to be a, a big, big change. Our second nominee, Andrew Young, most recently served as Deputy Chief of Mission in Mali. Previous assignments include South Korea, France, New Zealand, Burma, uh, India, and Hong Kong. And I'm sure he's going to find a way to practice his Korean skills in, in Mali as well. Last but not least, Joseph Donovan, who currently serves as Managing Director of the Washington Office of the American Institute in Taiwan. Previously, he served as Foreign Policy Advisor to the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff at the Pentagon. Also served in Hong Kong, Japan, China, South Korea, and Qatar. Uh, with that, uh, we'll recognize uh, Ambassador Symington. Chairman Flake, Ranking Member Markey, um, to you and to all the distinguished members of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, I want you to know how deeply honored I am to, to sit before you today as President Obama's nominee to serve as the ambassador to the Federal Republic of Nigeria. I'm grateful to the President and to Secretary Carrier for their confidence in my ability to lead U.S. engagement with one of, as you said, our most important partners on the African continent. Uh, I'm also uh, delighted to share with you the special pleasure I have to have my wife, Susan, my son, Stuart, my mother and father, Stuart and Janie Symington, brother John, and nephew Jack with us today. Uh, it's uh, a remarkable testament to how, at home and abroad, they serve also with me as they do with all other Foreign Service officers. In the Where country. are they? Can they raise their hands here? Yeah. Assignments. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Senator. Mr. Chairman, I've spent uh, half of my 30 years of public service working to advance peace, security, and prosperity for the people of the African continent. In all of these endeavors, including uh, during my two jobs as ambassador and my previous job in Washington as Deputy Assistant Secretary and Special Representative for the Central African Republic, um, I've learned one thing that matters most, and that is the partnerships that we form with the people of the place we work to advance our interests and the well-being of people. Nigeria is home to more than 180 million people. Uh, and as you said, Senator Markey, uh, some of the most vibrant and entrepreneurial people in the world are there. Um, the United States has in Nigeria a unique opportunity to engage productively in that vital partnership. Uh, in 2015, uh, we showed that by the relentless U.S. diplomatic efforts and technical assistance helping their National Electoral Commission that supported the people of Nigeria in a vote that became a peaceful change from one party to another for the first time in that nation's history. Additionally, our engagement with Nigerian health authorities helped stop in the city of Lagos uh, an Ebola epidemic uh, which could have wreaked havoc with the most populous city 
in Africa. We welcome profoundly President Buhari's call to fight corruption and to make steps towards achieving that goal. I just highlight his high-profile public campaign, the institution of a single account, and his work to investigate corruption. Mr. Chairman, despite such progress, I'm keenly aware of the profound challenges that remain. These include, as you pointed out the other day, Senator Markey, um, improving the climate for the telecommunications industry that could put so many people to work. They also include energy, the uh, Power Africa legislation and the Electrify Africa effort that uh, you all backed can make a profound difference on the continent. It includes health, where we're spending most of our money, and the governance of health, uh, which is so critical to make sure it gets where it's needed. It also includes justice, human rights, and education. Finally, with all the other countries of this region and many others around the world, Nigeria faces, as you mentioned, an extraordinary ex terrorist threat from Boko Haram. Boko Haram, which in March 2015 declared its affiliation to ISIL, has killed tens of thousands, kidnapped thousands, displaced many more, and today threatens a large segment of the population. Nigeria and its neighbors have driven Boko Haram out of much of its territory, of the territory that it controlled in 2015. However, its attacks have now created a humanitarian crisis of extraordinary proportions, and the group still continues to challenge state authority in many places uh, as the government works to re-engage uh, with and provide services to the people in that territory. Nigeria also faces serious security and governance challenges in the south, in the Niger Delta, where militants have attacked critical oil infrastructure, slashing oil output and slowing Nigeria's economic growth at a time of falling oil prices. Security problems are significant. Addressing them is critical, but it has to be done in a proactive, consensus-oriented, and achieving manner that prioritizes both security and the connection with the local communities that is the true heart of lasting security in any part of the world. As the people of Nigeria pursue solutions to these challenges, for both practical and moral reasons, the United States has a profound interest in their success. As we work together to address those challenges, we'll continue to work with Nigerian partners to ensure human rights are fully protected. These rights are profoundly important to the people of Nigeria and their future, just as they are to us. Nigeria has the resilience and ability to overcome these problems by drawing on the strengths of its people, on their energy and vitality, and on Nigeria's other great natural resources. If confirmed, I'll work with those in the public and private sector to create opportunities for the people of Nigeria to grow and diversify their economy. Its success is not just important to Nigeria. It's important to the continent and to the world. Facing the tough challenges ahead together, our partnership with Nigeria it aims to see that Nigeria becomes both an anchor of prosperity and stability and an outstanding role model for other developing countries around the world. Mr. Chairman, these are great challenges. But if confirmed as your ambassador and the ambassador of the United States, I look forward to working with every member 
of what is a truly extraordinary U.S. mission, uh, a team both in Abuja and in Lagos, to advance U.S. interests, to strengthen our partnership with Nigeria, and to ensure the safety and security of all our citizens. If confirmed by the Senate, I look forward especially to working on this critical agenda with you and, uh, and your colleagues and with all those who are inspired as you are to continue this effort on the continent of Africa. I thank you very much for your invitation today and welcome your questions. Thank you, Ambassador Symington. Mr. Young. Mr. Chairman, Mr. Ranking Member, for a diplomat who has spent 25 years serving his country on five continents across the globe, there is no greater honor than I can feel today than to be for you today as President Obama's nominee to be the next ambassador to Burkina Faso. I'm humbled by the support that Secretary Kerry has entrusted me for this uh, nomination. I'm joined today by Margaret Hawley, my spouse, my partner, and fellow Foreign Service Officer, and my son Nathan, who is a student at American University. Uh, my daughter, Claire, a student at Yale, and my mother, uh, who's in an adobe house in California, uh, daughter, sister, Danny, brother, uh, John, and brother, Blair, and in-laws are, are monitoring this uh, from the feed from the, from the West Coast. Um, and if my dad were here, he would be the fellow with the big grin, smiling, and illuminating the rest of the room with his uh, irrepressible enthusiasm. Uh, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Ranking Member, my love for Africa began 30 years ago as an intern at our embassy in Central African Republic, Bangui. You know why we endured uh, power outages and uh, gamma globulin shots that hurt like the Dickens. Um, and we had uh, terrorist attacks and monitored the trial of former Emperor Bokasa for unmentionable crimes. We also engaged as a team to help people lift themselves out of poverty, to address healthcare concerns, and to address education for women and girls and human rights. Um, I cherished what I learned in a small town in the heart of Africa and inspired me to take a master's degree in African studies and to work for the Commerce Department and the Overseas Private Investment Corporation to support private sector investment in Africa. I, joined, I then joined our diplomatic service where I saw firsthand the importance of putting promotion of democracy at the forefront of U.S. foreign policy. Uh, last year, I was honored to receive the State Department's Mark Palmer Award for Democracy for work that I had done uh, in Burma with Dong Song Suu Kyi and my work here um, on Capitol Hill as a legislative fellow and also in Mali where, as you said, uh, Mr. Chairman, I served for three years as Deputy Chief of Mission. Um, if confirmed as the next ambassador to Burkina Faso, I will draw upon these experiences to advance our interests, prioritizing three core areas, good governance, security, and equitable development. As Senator Markey mentioned, the Burkinabe people bravely demonstrated their commitment to democracy in 2014 by standing firm to stop ex-President Kampore from, from undermining the Constitution and extending his 27-year rule. Doing what is right and not what is easy, Burkinabe civil society, with the support of friends, including the United States, stood firm and faced the guns of the presidential guard who attempted to seize power in 2015. And when given the opportunity to express their views at the ballot box, the Burkinabe peoples again stood up 
and voted in record numbers in uh, elections in 2015 and 2016, um, uh, in elections that were judged widely as free, fair, and transparent. And today, as Senator Markey said, the leadership that's in place in Burkina Faso consents with the, con with the consent of the governed. But that democracy, that democratic transition, as you said, Senator, remains fragile. If confirmed, I would seek your support and your um, uh, guidance to help the Burkinabe people consolidate that democracy as a bulwark against the instability that reigns in that tough neighborhood, which is the Sahel. Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb and other terrorist groups based in Mali, they export death and insecurity throughout the region. If confirmed, uh, my second priority would be to address those security concerns, including the types of deadly attacks that have occurred in Ouagadougou and in, um, in Mali that I saw firsthand during my time in Mali. Um, but in security, we have a strong partner in the people of Burkina Faso. They have deployed more than 12,000 peacekeepers in the toughest spots around the world, standing watch in our common interests to, um, to, to promote our common interests since 1993. So if confirmed, I would work through these existing programs and also new opportunities like you know, like the National Guard State Partnership Program to help uh, emphasize and support uh, indigenous capacities to, for the Burkina Faso to deter and to respond to the types of terrorist threats that we have seen and to advance our common goals to combat violent extremism in the Sahel. Priority three would be economic equitable development, which reinforces good governance and security. One of the breaks on Burkina Faso's growth has been inadequate infrastructure. Um, Burkina successfully completed a five-year, $480 million Millennium Challenge Compact in 2014, 2014 that made great advances to unlock the country's potential. Our ADEPT, USAID, and Centers for Disease Control teams, they play key roles in multi-sector resiliency programs. And Burkina Faso, as you said, Senator, a land of integrity, a people, upright people, they've earned high praise for their effective use of valuable external assistance. New resources could jumpstart Burkina as that bulwark against instability in the Sahel. Strong people-to-people -people ties uh, embra embrace innovative exchange programs, and a vibrant Peace Corps presence that includes efforts focused on an issue near and dear to my heart, uh, engaging youth and empowering women and girls. Um, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Ranking Member, you know, as we meet in this historic chamber, I'm struck again by the awesome responsibility levied on an ambassador to protect fellow Americans. I have faced that responsibility during my time in Mali and when we confronted terrorism and defeated the Ebola threat. If confirmed, I will above all endeavor to protect American citizens and interests abroad. I will work to support good governance, which is the bedrock of effective society that reflects our shared values. And I would seek to advance US national security while promoting equitable development. And finally, if confirmed, I would look to you for counsel and support to advance these common interests. I welcome your questions and thank you so much for considering my nomination. Thank you, Mr. Young. Mr. Donovan. Mr. Chairman, uh, Mr. Markey, uh, Mr. Chairman, thank you very much for this opportunity to appear before you today. 
as the President's nominee to become the next U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Indonesia. I am deeply grateful to President Obama and Secretary Kerry for placing their confidence in me and for the incredible opportunity to serve the United States in this country of such importance to us. I would also like to introduce my wife, May Cho, and our two sons, James and Matthew. Without their love, support, and sacrifices, I would not be here before you today. Mr. Chairman, Indonesia is an increasingly important player on the world stage. It is the world's third largest democracy, the most populous Muslim-majority nation, and an emerging economic leader. Indonesia is a member of the G20, the World Trade Organization, APEC, and a leader in the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. Indonesia is also a tolerant and diverse Muslim-majority country, and its historic, peaceful transition to democracy has important lessons for other nations in transition. Put simply, it is in our national interest to continue to grow an effective partnership with this dynamic nation. Today, the United States and Indonesia enjoy excellent relations. During President Jokowi's October 2015 visit to Washington, we committed to forge a strategic partnership based on shared interests and common values that focuses on deepening people-to-people -people ties, enhancing security cooperation, strengthening our economic ties, and increasing collaboration on global and regional issues. We share an abiding interest in addressing challenges on the international stage. The United States looks to Indonesia as a valued partner in areas such as counterterrorism, environmental conservation, peacekeeping operations, and the regional promotion of human rights and democratic governance. Indonesia is a key partner in our efforts to promote regional prosperity and stability. Our development cooperation through USAID and the Millennium Challenge Cooperation is a key tool for our strategic engagement with Indonesia. Working with a wide range of partners, government, the private sector, civil society groups, and educational institutions, we are advancing U.S. interests by promoting a more prosperous, democratic, and resilient Indonesia. Our development partnership focuses on areas of importance to the Indonesian people. We seek to augment their efforts to build capacity and improve governance, including in such areas as environmental protection, health, and countering violent extremism. U.S.-Indonesia defense cooperation has never been stronger or more comprehensive than it is today. And we are proud to be Indonesia's top defense partner in joint exercises and other engagements. If confirmed, my priority will be to continue to forge an even more effective strategic partnership between our two nations. I will pursue opportunities for U.S. business, for example, by promoting U.S. solutions to Indonesia's requirements in the power and aviation sectors. Likewise, I will endeavor to use our trade and investment framework agreement talks to reduce legal and regulatory impediments to trade and investment. I will continue our close cooperation on counterterrorism as we combat the threat of ISIL. I will look to, en to enhance education cooperation by increasing the number of Indonesian students studying in the United States, promoting U.S. education, and facilitating partnerships between U.S. and Indonesian universities 
and scientific institutions. I will utilize public diplomacy programs such as the Young Southeast Asia Leaders Initiative to project America's values and emphasize our respect for human rights and the rights of members of religious minorities, as well as our opposition to human trafficking. Mr. Chairman, during my Foreign Service career, I have been fortunate to serve the United States in both Washington and in East Asia and Middle East. If confirmed, I will use my experience to lead our mission in Indonesia to tackle the challenges of the 21st century, including the oversight of security and safety for our personnel in Jakarta and our two constituent posts in Surabaya and Medan. If confirmed, I will look forward to working with this committee and with the Asia Subcommittee and the full committee and engaging with each of you, whether here in Washington or during your visits to the region, as we continue to promote our interests in Indonesia. Thank you for this opportunity to appear before you today. I'm honored to take your questions. Thank you all. Thank you all for your testimony. I'll start the round of questions. Uh, Ambassador Symington, what uh, is the biggest difference with the new government now, the Buhari government, uh, as opposed to the Jonathan government in terms of our security cooperation with Nigeria? What opportunities do we have now that we didn't before? Thank you for that question and for the focus on, uh, on the differences. Uh, the single greatest difference is Buhari's forthright understanding of the importance of tackling both security challenges and the corruption that feeds them in many parts of the world. And I think that um, as he thinks of the task ahead, uh, what he needs in part is the kind of uh, teamwork with his neighbors and with other partners, including us, uh, that's essential to address this issue. And he also needs to keep working uh, across the board to make sure that his government is seen to deliver the sorts of services to those who have been affected by terrorism that can win them to the cause. Because the security threats they face are, are uh, too great for governments alone to handle. And so I'd say that uh, as we work with him in the days ahead, as we think of uh, ways that we can train, ways that we can equip, ways that we can inform, ways that we can help uh, with logistics, and flesh out strategies and teamwork. Uh, what we have in President Buhari and his government is a willing partner, uh, genuinely interested in uh, using resources well to enhance the, the welfare of his people. So uh, if uh, in the days ahead, um, we can continue on that course, making wise decisions about how best we can help deal with one part of what is an absolutely clear global threat against not just uh, Nigerians, but us, I think we'll be well served, Senator. Thank you. Mr. Young, talk for a minute if you can, drawing on your experience in other African countries as well, most recently in Mali. How does our soft power or uh, programs through USAID and Millennium Challenge uh, and others help in terms of security cooperation in these countries? Is it uh, a necessary part? Is it helpful or not? Thank you, Senator. I think you've honed in on exactly one of the great attributes we have to advance our national interests in places like Mali and in places like Burkina Faso, where I could confirm to be able to serve there. We have an extraordinarily high level of public support in both those countries. The United States is perceived to be a partner who looks to um, 
to support the uh, common interests of our, of our partners in Burkina Faso and our partners in Mali, where I recently spent three years. And I think that that opens the door for us to find that common interest to solve a problem. Um, I can give you some examples. For ex um, when we were in, um, in um, Mali, we worked, uh, the team worked very, very carefully to, um, to develop uh, a security component. And in that security component, we had uh, uh, a National Guard team that had showed goodwill but lacked uh, training and capacity. Through a series of interventions, we helped this uh, team respond and create a quick reaction force that helped uh, provide security around our embassy. Um, later, when um, uh, they, we continued the mentoring pro program, that quick reaction force was able to follow behind some of our teams that responded to the attack on the Radisson Hotel, again showing their capacity to take the fight to the enemy under the leadership and a partnership with Americans. And then finally when we were attacked, uh, uh, a neighbor was attacked about 400 meters from the embassy a few months later, that quick reaction force responded directly under their own initiative to provide life-saving aid to their fellow citizens. I think that sort of teamwork that we empower uh, enables us to advance our common interests. Thank you. Mr. Donovan, um, we're right now in discussions, obviously, or negotiation with TPP. Um, can you talk a little about the importance of uh, engaging trade with Indonesia? Uh, obviously, we have, we want to make sure that the Southeast Asian countries are part of our trade orbit and don't only have China as an option. Uh, how important is it for us to engage? Thank you, Senator. Uh, certainly when we look at the rebalancing strategy, it has at, at least three legs to it. One is on the security area. Another is the growth uh, and development of regional organizations or regional architecture, if you will. And the third is trade. And TPP <coughs> plays a major role in the trade leg of this. Uh, Indonesia has uh, expressed an interest, as have other others, in uh, participating in TPP. And as we have with others, we've welcomed Indonesia's interest uh, in participating at some point in the future in TPP. And as we've said with others, uh, if, if and when they make, uh, they're qualified to take the steps in order to do that. Uh, overall, though, uh, I think it's also important to, to recognize that uh, our overall trade with, with Indonesia last year was about $27 billion. Uh, the American Chamber of Commerce, just in a meeting, uh, last week, the American Chamber of Commerce in, in Jakarta in a meeting last week stated that uh, our economic relationship with Indonesia is very strong, but the opportunities are immense. And I think that says it all in terms of the possibilities for, the, for going forward that we can do with Indonesia on trade. We look at it in terms of uh, regulatory issues and, and encouraging them through our trade and investment forum uh, agreement meetings to relax some uh, regulatory uh, restrictions that are placed on American products. Also, we look for ways to encourage American investment in Indonesia, which we think also is, is a very positive force. All of these areas, I, I think, combine uh, as part of our economic relationship and showing that the future could be immense for us in Indonesia. Thank you. Mr. Markey. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, very much. Um, Mr. Symington, uh, I was in Nigeria last month and I was told that one million doses of the medicine for HIV uh, AIDS had actually just been stolen and disappeared, even though 
that government as part of our program to help to ensure that that type of aid reaches the people who need it most. And of course, that medicine could then be sold on the black market for a lot more money. So I guess my question to you is that the Buhari government has promised reforms. They've promised uh, that they're going to try to root out the deep corruption that has historically existed inside of that country. Can you give us, from your perspective, a progress report on how successful uh, this new government has become? Senator, thank you for highlighting what is, uh, I think, their greatest challenge. It's to go beyond the statements to the practice. Let me just say that uh, one of the most important ways to make sure that uh, you tackle uh, corruption is to, to get the facts. And one of the things that we've done is to engage with them across the board to ensure that um, we have accurate information on the use of uh, not only our resources, but theirs. And uh, that statistical um, challenge uh, is one that we're working with our partners on every day. The second thing is that when, uh, when there are problems, you need to hold people accountable. And my understanding is that some changes in the team that work on health in Nigeria reflect an effort to ensure accountability. So I think that they've got uh, remarkable challenges ahead, but none is more important than to actually deliver the kind of goods and services, not just supplied by the Nigerians, but by their international partners, including the United States, to the people of Nigeria. They've said that that's their goal, and I think it's vital that we work with them to make sure that they achieve it. Thank you. Um, Mr. Young, the, the people in Burkina Faso, they live in a very dangerous neighborhood. There are terrorist groups uh, coming from pretty much all directions towards that government. And, uh, <clears throat> and I guess my question to you is, what do you think the chances are of this government not ultimately being able to withstand its own internal stresses and that it could be overturned uh, uh, in a way that did not reflect its democratic values. So thank you, sir. Senator, you highlight the core challenge before us, but I think you also, as in your introduction, highlight the, the core resource upon which we can build to address that problem. Burkina Faso, a land of people of integrity, this is a historic opportunity for us to invest in that fragile democracy and invest in those uh, uh, nascent uh, security institutions to uh, ensure that um, our interventions and the will of the Burkinabe people to build a, a democracy at this crucial point in their history reaches its fruition. So I would say this is an opportunity for us to, um, to inoculate uh, this fragile democracy from the challenges. And if I were confirmed, I would keep your question and your themes at the forefront of every activity that I would do to, to move forward. Okay, thank you. And uh, Mr. Dunneman, um, there's a country of vast size and resources that you are being nominated to represent the United States. Um, they have, unfortunately, much illegal logging that goes on. Their forests are ultimately central to, like the Amazon, providing the lungs for the planet. Um, there's much corruption around this entire sector inside of their country, and yet uh, we're hoping and expecting them to comply with these international goals that were set in Paris last December. Could you talk from your perspective about uh, the role that you expect Indonesia to play and how you would uh, intend on keeping them accountable to meeting 
uh, the goals that have been established for them. Thank you, Senator. I think you, you point out two very important areas of cooperation that we have with Indonesia. Uh, and these are, one is, would be on the fight against corruption, and the other would be on climate change and biodiversity and environmental protection. Uh, they are, as you noted, uh, very closely interrelated with each other. With regard, and, and I've, I can't emphasize enough, these are areas that we partner with, with Indonesia together, but they're also areas that Indonesia has identified as important priorities for themselves uh, and for cooperation with us. This, this is a really a true partnership and it's a two-way street. On, with regard to, to uh, uh, corruption, we cooperate with not only the Indonesian government, uh, President Jokowi and his government, but also with civil society in Indonesia. And we really have three objectives as, as we move forward on it. One is to strengthen the government of, in, of Indonesia bodies that are responsible for the fight against corruption. And this, uh, the, the most prominent of them is, is an organization called KPK, which is the Corruption Eradication Commission. Uh, another area that we work on is to promote an anti-corruption culture within uh, Indonesia. And the third would be to, to take steps to strengthen the rule of law. All of these, again, we do in cooperation with the Indonesian government and with Indonesians themselves. Uh, we attack them in, or we work on these in different ways. We offer assistance and training for prosecutors. Uh, we speak out in public. Uh, we attempt to, to work with civil society organizations to, to build on this culture. But also uh, we provide training and, uh, and other assistance on it. With regard to biodiversity and climate change, we're working very hard to help Indonesia to uh, achieve its goals uh, that it has, it has declared on, in terms of curbing its own carbon emissions. We have programs from the, both the Millennium Challenge Corporation and from USAID in such areas as land use, uh, also in terms of uh, both training and how you manage the land, what you can do to, to reduce emissions, and also in health areas as well. So all of these, I think, are areas that we work very, very closely with the Indonesian people and the Indonesian government on. Thank you. Thank you. Senator Gardner. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you for accommodating Mr. Donovan's uh, hearing this afternoon, this morning. Thank you very much for uh, making that happen on the itinerary today and to the, the fine members of the Foreign Service we have. Thank you for your service and commitment to our country. And Mr. Donovan had the pleasure of meeting you in my office a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and uh, look forward to this confirmation hearing and the remaining of the process. A couple questions that we covered in the office when we had a chance to visit. Um, what, what do you think the U.S. Uh, highlights of the U.S.-Indonesia relationship have, have brought to us so far? Areas that we should look at as examples of success to this point. Thank you, Senator, for that question. Uh, I think there, there are a number of areas where our cooperation has increased and where Indonesia is certainly demonstrating uh, regional leadership. Uh, one area would be in, in the fight against counterterrorism. For instance, in the last uh, several weeks, Indonesia has hosted uh, regional conferences both uh, uh, on the fight against foreign, uh, foreign fighters and the effort uh, to curb, uh, in, a, in a second uh, conference, in, in the effort to curb the uh, foreign uh, terrorist financing. And that certainly is a, a major step forward and, and a good thing as far as we're concerned. Uh, we're also, uh, we are partnering with Indonesian civil society uh, in the formation of a religious diversity, uh, Muslim diversity 
uh, conference that was just held several days ago. And this, uh, in this particular conference, the State Department uh, representative to Muslim communities and the embassy both participated. And this is an, an example of uh, Indonesia showing leadership as, as a diverse but tolerant, uh, moderate Muslim nation and uh, acting as a role model. I think all of those areas are, are, have been particularly important. You mentioned the issue of counterterrorism. How many Indonesians are currently fighting uh, with ISIL in Syria or other terror groups? Thank you, Senator. I've seen a number of, of different statistics, and, I, and what I'm going to give you, I, I think, is probably a better idea of, uh, of the, not the specific numbers, but just an idea of, of the extent of it, such as we understand it. One of the problems in, in estimating the number of, of, of foreign fighters from Indonesia is the fact that their family members go with them. So I've, I've seen estimates of the total as perhaps as much as a thousand, but, uh, but of those, many members would be family members, and perhaps a more realistic figure would be about 300 to 600. But uh, again, don't please don't hold me accountable for the exact numbers on this. Of, of these. I think we also estimate approximately 100 or so have, have returned to Indonesia in, in one form or another. And what are the Indonesian government's policies for domestic militants uh, and the threat that they pose to the government of Indonesia, the people of Indonesia, when they return and how we can work with them on that issue? Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, I think it's important that we, we share the, the, the very common goals with them, and, and that's of, of one, preventing uh, foreign terrorists or, or, or local terrorists for that matter from, from uh, conducting attacks, second, from spreading hateful ideologies, and third, for uh, recruiting vulnerable uh, populations, including youth, uh, and recruiting them. Uh, what, Indonesia, what we're cooperating with Indonesia is in such areas as information sharing. We cooperate in areas including uh, the uh, prison management and the monitoring of prisoners uh, after they have been, been released to make sure that that's handled properly. And um, also in speaking out in the, in the community, engaging with, with uh, members of uh, so, uh, civil society and civil society organizations uh, to make sure that we do not vacate that field to foreign terrorists or to extremists. And would you consider this area to be the greatest counterterrorism gap that Indonesia has? Is there another area of greater concern to the U.S.? Well, certainly uh, one thing that we are very cognizant and we support Indonesia on is that their counterterrorism programs are civilian and law enforcement led. And I think this is a very important uh, priority for us as it is for Indonesia as well. And so we work again with uh, the uh, law enforcement agencies to make sure that they play the leading role in this. So there have been a number of successes just in the past month or two uh, in Indonesia. One was, was the, the death and the, and the killing of Santoso, who was the, the leading uh, terrorist in Indonesia. Uh, just last week, uh, his deputy was captured, and there was a press report today saying that a number mem another member of his group w was killed within the last several days. So I think that that's a, a very good sign. Thank you, Mr. Donovan. And shifting to trade, uh, what are the biggest barriers right now that you see between the U.S. and Indonesia in matters of trade? One of the issues that, that we have to deal with is uh, excessive uh, regulation, regulatory restrictions on, on, on our products coming in, which I might add also uh, raises the price for Indonesian consumers. And I think that that's an area that we, we need to be working at and working with Indonesia through the uh, trade and investment for, uh, forum uh, agreement mechanism that we have. We had a, our most recent meeting was in April in Indonesia. 
Another would be in the area of investment. Uh, to the, uh, Indonesia has a negative investment list that, that makes it difficult sometimes for foreign investors and certainly for U.S. investors to, to really engage uh, uh, in, in ways that they would like to do. And I think in all of those areas, we, we need to, to work a little bit harder. Thank you, Mr. Donovan. Thanks, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Ambassador Rubio. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Senator. Thank you for the promotion, but not yet. I appreciate it. But uh, uh, Mr. Donovan, let me ask you, um, in 2006, Indonesia passed a law requiring minority uh, religious groups to collect signatures from the local majority group before building houses of worship. So since the passage of that so-called Religious Harmony Bill, more than 1,000 Indonesian churches have reportedly been shuttered and untold numbers of others have never been built. So to what extent do you plan to make religious freedom a priority in your dealings with the government of Indonesia? Thank you, Senator. Um, obviously, uh, every society and every government and every country is judged in part by the way that it treats its minorities. Uh, Indonesia, in the, within the Indonesian constitution, uh, contains guarantees of religious freedom. But there have been instances of abuses, uh, have been instances of abuses uh, involving religious minorities. We certainly uh, urge the Indonesian government and work with civil society in Indonesia to, to look at those and do what they can to have, you know, Indonesia really regards itself and is very proud of its tradition as a diverse society. And we encourage Indonesia to, to live up to that. And we work, uh, again, I mentioned the religious commission that was just formed, but to try and move forward in that area. And, and in terms of my efforts on that, I can assure you that one of the priorities I, I will have, if confirmed, uh, is helping Indonesia to, to deal with issues involving uh, religious minorities to make sure that they, are, they not only are entitled but receive uh, the same freedoms of uh, other Indonesian citizens. We had a hearing here uh, last week in the subcommittee about child marriages, um, which um, I think is a misnomer because a marriage is supposed to be a, a consensual a consensual rela consensual relationship between two people in the case of a 14 or a 13 year old, I don't think that's accurate. Uh, in fact, I know it's not. But in this particular case uh, about protecting women and girls abroad has become a major priority of U.S. Uh, policy. In your view, what more can the Indonesian government do to protect women and girls from the rampant abuse and, the, and to promote more equality uh, for young women and girls in the country, for all women and young girls in the country? Thank you, Senator. I, certainly one area would be to, to shed a little bit more light on this and to make sure that the Indonesian uh, people are aware of issues like this going on. I, I think certainly when, when you look at public, public opinion polling in Indonesia, there is a, a great desire uh, to move forward to uh, protect the rights of minorities. And I think pr uh, practices like this, one of the things that we can do is work with civil society organizations to make sure that the Indonesian people are aware of what's going on. Uh, Mr. Simonton, I, I want to ask now about uh, Ni Nigeria for a moment. Um, the independent bipartisan U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom has recommended that Nigeria be designated a country of particular concern. Here's the quote from their report. Quote, the Nigerian federal government fails to implement effective strategies to prevent or stop terrorism and sectarian violence, and it does not bring to justice those responsible for such violence, thus fostering a climate of impunity, end quote. In your view, why has the Department of State failed to make this designation 
And, uh, and do you believe that Nigeria has the capacity to improve religious freedom conditions, uh, particularly by more fully and effectively countering Boko Haram and sectarian violence? I guess the, the first question is the most important is, in your view, why hasn't that designation happened? Senator, thank you for both this question and the previous question about the importance of religious liberty. I don't think that there is a single issue more important in Nigeria than that the country continue to be seen by all of its citizens as a country that protects the rights of each one of them, regardless of what their religion is. This issue comes up every day. It's true that in the Northeast, most of the victims of terrorist attacks are Muslims, but there are conflicts that continue to try to rip the country apart and to try to rip it apart along religious lines. I think that the single most important thing that we can do is to stress every day that the notion e pluribus unum, out of many, one, is not an idea that is just American, but universal. And at the core is belief. And at the core is the individual person. Uh, we have spoken to and will continue to engage with not just the president, but with state and local leaders, with religious leaders, with civil society, um, throughout the country in Nigeria, and if confirmed, I look forward to contributing to that. Senator, I don't know the answer to the question uh, re regarding the designation, and I'll, uh, I'll find it out and submit it to you. Well, let me then, in closing, ask you, in, in general, do you believe the Nigerian government and its security forces are taking sufficient steps to protect civilians, especially young girls, from human rights abuses, such as kidnappings and forced conversions? Senator, thank you again. I, I think that uh, not just the Nigerian government, the Nigerian people and their partners, including the United States, need to continue and increase the steps that we take. Boko Haram and others have been reduced, but awful things continue to happen on a daily basis. And in a country as vibrant and as important to its own people and to the world as Nigeria, we can't stop where we are. We have to go forward together. There literally is nothing more important. There is a, there is a bond of trust that must be forged between the people of any place and the leaders of that place. And when that's threatened, it undermines all governance, all justice, and all opportunity. Forging with them that bond to make it stronger is essential for them, but also for us. For as we think about the world ahead, I can't imagine a more important relationship than the one that we have with the African continent. And I think it, be it begins, our efforts there begin by thinking about individual people and starting with conscience a fundamental freedom as well as a right. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, Senator Rubio. <laughs> well, I wanna thank the, the witnesses today. One, one other question for Mr. Donovan. Um, in uh, 2015, I think the President of Indonesia announced the intention to join TPP at some point. Is that still the understanding, or are they? Uh, it's my understanding, yes, uh, so, uh, Mr. Chairman. Uh, during President Jokowi's visit here uh, in October of 2015, uh, he did announce that uh, Indonesia was interested in joining the TPP. I understand just overnight there have been some uh, press statements uh, that I, I can't, can't confirm that uh, one of the things that the Indonesian government will be doing is waiting to, to see how our handling of TPP will, will be uh, undertaken. All right. Hey, thank you all uh, for your testimony today. Appreciate uh, my colleagues for the questions. And once again, thank you to the families that are here. Uh, we understand and appreciate uh, greatly the sacrifices that you all make uh, to have family members uh, uh, serve in these posts. And uh, the hearing record will uh, remain open uh, until Wednesday, uh, close of business Wednesday.
we ask the witnesses to respond promptly um, to questions that may be submitted. And I also ask for unanimous consent that Senator Klobuchar's record be added, or statement be added to the record. She has some nice things to say about Ambassador Symington. And uh, with the thanks of the committee, this hearing is adjourned.